then. Children of the night, what music they make. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Excellent day for an exorcism. Oh, Kill you all! You don't know what death is. We belong dead. Here's Johnny. <laughs> I shot him six times. On to your butt. Bring for your life. <laughs> Into a new world of parts and monsters. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Pods and Monsters. My name is Robert, and with me is Inthia. Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. <laughs> well, it's good that you're talking that uh, 70s jive, because <laughs> we're in for a treat tonight. Oh, I'm talking that Carol Baskin jive. Uh, well, she's a 70s hippie. Uh, yeah, 60s 100%. Hippie. <laughs> and she is getting us through our quarantine. I mean, there's a lot to unpack with that show, which we're not here to do, but... um. Speaking of which. Yeah, uh, speaking of quarantines, we thought it only appropriate that we talk about a movie that is dear to my heart, and it is a quarantine, well, it's not really a quarantine movie, it's a post-apocalypse movie, where a virus has taken out everyone except one person. There is one man left on Earth, and he is the Omega Man. The last man on Earth lives in a fortress. What day is it anyway? Monday? The hell it is. It's Sunday. Sunday, I always dress for dinner. The last man on Earth always carries... ...an automatic weapon. The last man on Earth is hunting. Because the last man on Earth is not alone. The Omega Man from 1971. Have you heard of this movie, Anthea? I had heard of it, yes. But you've never seen it? No, I've never seen it. Apparently, I was familiar with images from it, but I'd never seen it. I have seen I Am Legend, which is based off of the same source material that Omega Man is based off of. Yes, The Omega Man is based off of a book by Richard Matheson called I Am Legend. Mm Mm-hmm. And yeah, there was a movie version called I Am Legend with Will Smith, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which we actually watched a few days before The Omega Man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but The Omega Man is, <laughs> it's a corny, special movie to me. Oh, <laughs> emphasis on the corny. Oh my gosh. Why don't you take us through it and we'll talk about all of its corny glory. I remember when we put this on, you were confused because it just starts. It doesn't start with an opening logo or anything. It just goes right into it. And it's a car racing down the empty streets of Los Angeles. Yeah. The driver of this is Charlton Heston. And he pops in an A-track cassette tape. And some music starts, some driving around music. 
he is running stop signs, running red lights. There's paper about. <laughs> yeah, you get from these shots that he is alone and he has the streets to himself, even though there was someone walking on the street, <laughs> yeah. some random person that they... Uh, because they shot these scenes on Sunday mornings in Los Angeles. They didn't close the streets. They just realized early in the morning on Sundays, there's no one about. Mm. So the streets weren't closed, but there is one random person walking on the street. Mm -hmm. Minding his own business. Yeah, Yeah. I I think there's actually a wide shot that pulls out where you see another car driving too. (laughs) Yeah, I love these shots of him driving the streets and you hear the Omega Man theme playing. Mm -hmm. I love the music so much. He stops at a building and there's a hooded figure that walks through and he comes out gun blazing, just shooting at it. And he has like a machine gun of some sort. Yeah, this huge automatic weapon. And I like the car stops and he moves in fast motion <laughs> to yes. grab his gun and shoot whatever's in the window. Um, I will say from here, he's very aggressive. This gun is ridiculous that he has. He's incredibly violent and... The music for this movie is, I can't even emphasize this enough, amazing. Oh, it's so good. Simply amazing. And we go into the credits from here and we get a red haunted mansion font. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the, the font is the same that they use in the haunted mansion. I think it's a little out of place here until it says the Omega Man and I'm like, oh, that's this perfectly makes sense as to why they chose this font yeah so we get all of these views through the city and he's driving a little reckless we see uh points of views from roofs where there are like there's a dead body seated it's facing away from the camera Mm -hmm. but it's like whatever happened people died in place what amid whatever they were doing yeah i like that uh spread out throughout the city you will find random dead bodies and Yep. You know, skeletal corpses. Trash everywhere, broken windows. And he takes a turn a little too fast. And he almost hits a car accident that had occurred. And he drives up onto the curb and pops one of his tires. Yeah, he, he's not a great driver. Like, <laughs> No, he drives very reckless. Yeah, there's no one in the city. And he manages to crash into everything. Yep. And then you remember what he says when yes. he... Uh, He gets out and he says, never a cop around when you need one. That's right. There's never a cop around when you need one. And uh, he's very Charlton Heston. And I think that I, I'm not accustomed to Charlton. I do not have a lot of Charlton Heston knowledge. Mm -hmm. I love the towering Inferno. Which he's not in. Shit. (laughs) Earthquake. Earthquake, yeah. (laughs) I think Earthquake. Yeah, Charlton Heston, he is one of my favorite actors, uh, mostly for his stuff in the late 60s to 70s. He starred in Planet of the Apes, and because of Planet of the Apes, he sort of got typecast as a science fiction hero. Mm -hmm. So he did this, he did Soylent Green, the second Planet of the Apes film, and He's just, I don't know, there's something about him that is so mythical. Maybe because he was Moses, I don't know. He did definitely get typecast, and he has a style. His range from being Moses to Planet of the Apes was all the same. (laughs) He brought, even when he's reading the Ten Commandments, holding those up, he's got the same energy that he's got 
in this movie when he's talking to people. <laughs> he's got the, you know, two different messages that are being brought across, but it's the same. I'm going to say commanding presence. Yeah. It's almost, it's an aggressive commanding presence. But somehow I don't mind it because it's Charlton Heston. But yeah. at one point it does become a little, I laughed a lot at this movie and I know <laughs> you're not supposed to, but it's yeah. because it's so dated. And I, again, don't have a lot of, I haven't watched a lot of movies from this era and I haven't uh-huh. lost, watched a lot of his movies. I don't know. I find him very comparable to Arnold Schwarzenegger, like this bigger than okay. life actor yeah. that... I mean, he, he was an Oscar winner. You know, he's great in Ben-Hur and more of the, I would say, historical movies, I guess. He's a hero. Yeah, he's a he's hero. He's a great hero actor. And Arnold's a great hero actor. Yeah. And it's funny because Charlton Heston, this is turning into just the Charlton Heston podcast, I guess. He co-starred with Arnold in True Lies. And it's funny because James Cameron said that he wanted to hire someone as Arnold's boss that Arnold could fear. And there's only one person that he can imagine Arnold fearing, and that's Charlton Heston. And that's so true. Another interesting fact about True Lies, the company that Charlton Heston runs in that, that Arnold works for, is, I believe, called The Omega Factor. Based off of The Omega Man. Interesting. So let's get back to the movie. Yes. So... He uh, takes his gun and he has a gas can and he just casually walks away. We do pan to this car accident and there are some bodies. It's a flipped over truck, I believe. And then there are some bodies hanging out of it. And he kind of just assesses the situation and then just walks away. He goes to a car shop and he sees a calendar across the wall with a sexy lady on it. But more importantly, it's from March 1975. And this is very upsetting to him. He's very much displeased with looking at it and he angrily rips it down. We come to find out that this is just really a reminder of the passage of time. And the last time that this was flipped was in 1975. Mm -hmm. So we know that this is after March 1975. Yeah, uh, whatever happened, happened in March of 75, which at the point of release for this movie would have been in the future, because mm. this movie came out in 71. Okay. He pretends to talk to a salesman about um, trying to buy a car, and we get a quick pan around, it's very quick, and I love it, to a skeleton who is sitting at a desk. Yes, like the car salesman. Yeah. That's pretty scary. He fixes the car and uh, then casually takes off through the windows with this car. Yeah, I like he's he's talking to himself to sort of keep his sanity and try to keep things normal. So he's having a conversation with himself about trading in his old car, saying, how much will you give me for this car? He imagines he gets a response and he says something to the effect of, thanks a lot, you cheating bastard. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks a lot, you cheating bastard. His dialogue in this movie, I guffawed so much at it, but I truly love it. I was like, (laughs) yes, say your weird, weird things to the air. Yeah. Uh, So he drives away and pulls up in front of a theater showing Woodstock. The picture's so good, it's the third year running. Yeah. So from here, you can kind of estimate that During this time in history in general, movies were in the movie theater for about a year. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is potentially 1977 to 78 is what I gathered from seeing that calendar. And he had mentioned this. So you know that there's a passage of time and that this movie has been playing 
for quite a few years. He goes in and starts up the movie and he watches the movie and it's Woodstock. And he looks a little pissed off watching the movie. He has, it's kind of hard to read what he's saying. Like he looks entertained, but he also looks mad. Those and crazy hippie kids. Then he starts saying the lines of the movie. And it was very interesting what he did end up saying, which ties into the themes of this movie, uh, where it's one of the kids talking about how everyone can't be afraid of one another and how we should embrace each other and whatever, whatever. Yeah, I, I really like this scene because it seems so real that, you know, he would want to find entertainment. So he goes to the movie theater and this is his only option. So he's seen this countless times, so many times where he knows every word that's going to be said. Mm -hmm. And uh, the funny thing is watching I Am Legend recently, they sort of do the same thing in that. You remember uh, when they're watching Shrek? Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah. why would Will Smith watch Shrek of all things? Well, probably because his daughter liked it. Yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> then he makes a comment that movies like that aren't made anymore. No, they sure don't make pictures like that anymore. He walks outside and the sun is setting and suddenly all of these telephones start going off and he's very pained and in anguish um, and it's ringing all throughout the city. He then starts to scream that there is no phone ringing and it all abruptly stops. There is no phone ringing, damn it! Yeah, I really so like this. You can tell already from how he's carried on conversations with himself and what is happening that his state of mind isn't exactly clear right and he's he's truly dealing with a lot he's trying not to lose it but he is he's lost it yeah i i do think he's lost it he comments that it's almost dark and that they'll be waking up soon he says that it's almost dark and when he does that he looks at the sun and then he looks at his watch now keep this in mind when he looks at his watch Charlton Heston, he does what I like to call the Chuck Check. And I look for it in every movie that he's in because he does it in almost every movie he's the in. Chuck the Chuck Check? The Chuck Check. And the Chuck Check is what he checks his watch, but he has his watch on the interior of his wrist. So he checks the inside of his wrist to see what time it is, as opposed to keeping the clock face on the outside, which is more common these days. I know some people do like to keep it on the inside, but it's such a Charlie Hero thing for him to check his watch on the inside. And I love it. I look for it every single time. And he does it about four or five times in this movie so every time i see it i go there's the chuck check um i believe when i first started wearing a watch as a young child i wore a watch for a few years in mm -hmm. my lifetime i was told to have my watch on the inside oh so you do the chuck check as well well then i saw all the kids in high school and uh, the school that i was going to they did not have it on the inside so i put it on the outside but for my first formative years of wearing a, <laughs> a watch i did want wear it on the inside that's the way you're supposed to do it and especially if you have like a little dainty lady one i mean i had I had a G-Shock, a baby G. Yeah. Are you familiar? No. So he says that they'll be waking up soon and he takes off. And again, he only knows how to drive one way. We will find out throughout this entire movie. And it is like a crazy man, bad out of hell. He gets to a garage and goes to open the garage with the little controller. And he's waiting for the door to open when a window right above him opens up and some gasoline, I think, gets poured on him or some oil. And then uh, <laughs> like a giant torch gets thrown at him by some figures that are cloaked. Yeah. And they have very pale skin. And here we have a gunfight, fistfight situation where he takes out his uh, automatic 
I don't know. I'm going to say it's like a machine gun because it even has like the little round thing on it. Sure. There's a whole thing. Whatever. Um, And he just starts shooting at everything, at these hooded figures. And we get some really rad music. When these figures are hit, they have very bright red blood. (laughs) Um, The colors in this movie are almost surreal when it comes to what will come to be known as the family. It's very interesting. I'll, I'll explain them later. But yeah, he drives inside into this garage. He has like a locked generator area there mm-hmm. and he uh, to power the lights of this building. So he goes ahead and he starts that on and it powers the outside lights, the inside lights and a fountain that's right across mm-hmm. the way. And yeah. we see these hooded figures all outside and they all scurry away from the light. Yeah, they are very sensitive to the light. And these will be our, you know, villains of the piece. Yeah. He takes an elevator up. It's a long elevator ride. It is. It's all the way up to this building. He's like in the penthouse. And I think that he talks to himself. His name is Robert Neville. Robert Neville. Um, But he says, uh, Monsieur Robert, I believe he yeah. calls himself <laughs> in the elevator. And he's all the way to the penthouse. And as he's going up the elevator, we get a flashback of explosions and rockets and a broadcast of this, uh, I believe they say the Sino-Russian war. Yeah, there is some sort of nuclear war. I believe it's between Russia and China. And this is where the virus came from that wiped out everyone. Yeah, there were missiles that were deployed. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, And they carried this disease. He reaches the top and this is his home. He has um, built himself a nice little bunker where he's stocked up on a lot of food. He has a weird surveillance system where he can see everything outside and he can watch himself inside. Where it's later on in the movie, he comments that he's a narcissist. I'm a narcissist. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's weird because the camera that watches him, it's kind of like the movie camera that we're watching. It's just like (laughs) like right next to the one that we're that we're watching yeah and then that camera is right next to that camera yeah the angle's a little weird but yeah his house is filled with all this stuff he has collected stuff from abandoned museums and all that he has priceless pieces of art on the wall he's playing a game of chess with a bust of julius caesar that he has lots of conversations with that's right and he immediately gets to drinking he talks to himself not before taking off his shirt he does take a shirt. He takes off his, his jacket. He takes off his shirt. And he just throws everything willy-nilly. Let me tell you something. There's something very special about a bare-chested Charlton Heston. And do tell. I don't know. It's so comforting to see him bare-chested. Really? I found it very um, jarring. <laughs> and I was a little uncomfortable. Um, I don't know. It just seems so 70s. Like he's It's extremely not, 70s. Like, he's not a big muscle guy. He just no. he just seems like your grandfather just walking around he without does. a shirt on. Suddenly, there's a noise from outside, and the hooded figures are burning things and laughing and taunting him, really. And they say his name. They say Neville. And, you know, these figures the the family as we find out they're more annoying than anything else like if i were in robert neville's situation i would be more pissed just because i can't get any peace and quiet not that they're trying to kill me (laughs) here we join the people causing a ruckus outside and we meet two men with a white skin and white hair talking about neville they're albino well they're not albino well they say that later that's one of the symptoms oh i guess they have albino yeah okay but albinos have red eyes. Well, I mean, the skin is albino, I guess. Gotcha. Okay. 
gotcha. You know, there's a lot of terms and stuff thrown around in this movie where I was just <laughs> like, why are we saying these things? One we come to find out is the leader, and his name is Matthias. And this is the gentleman that we are seeing as the news broadcaster in all of these flashbacks. Yeah, the news broadcaster becomes the leader of the family, our main villain, yeah. uh, which is very interesting. It's almost like, I mean, I don't know really what Matthias's backstory is is so much of when he was purely human but if he was sort of a walter cronkite type the most trusted man in america and then becomes the biggest villain of the the world or of their area at least it's a nice contrast yeah and he's talking to a gentleman i believe his name is zachary brother zachary and uh they're talking about neville they talk about how they outnumber him and have been trying to get him for the past few years they want to kill him and what do they want to pull him out of i don't know they call his house a honky paradise (laughs) and uh matthias doesn't like that he says leave your thoughts about race he doesn't say this exactly, but your thoughts about race and those issues of the old world in the past, it's not about that anymore. Now it's about the family taking over and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Forget the old ways, brother. All the old hatreds, all the old pains. Forget and remember the family is one. The family, they again have this white skin, like this powdery white skin, powdery white hair, and these like open wounds on their skin and they wear sunglasses even though it is clearly at night but they all wear these aviator sunglasses (laughs) the family isn't allowed to use any sort of modern weaponry so they can't shoot any guns but they do have a giant catapult um (laughs) and bows and arrows we get more about the broadcast and it's very interesting the way that we go from these gentlemen talking into a broadcast to give us more of a backstory and then it pulls back to the future or the present day in this movie so the broadcast is talking about what happened and what caused this war and this resulting plague major cities in all parts of the country new york los angeles report plague victims falling dead in the streets in their homes at their work hospitals are being overrun and neville is watching this broadcast when his phone rings and he's talking about testing a possible vaccine against this plague and he also casually mentions that he doesn't know what the side effects are he takes off in a helicopter and as he's flying with his pilot we see how quickly this plague the symptoms take on and can take over a person the pilot is affected and the helicopter crashes and neville survives this he actually gets kind of thrown from the wreckage and so does his equipment and he sees over there that there's a vaccine some of his vaccine so he injects himself with his vaccine yeah charlton heston he is coughing and about to succumb to the disease or the virus and he only has moments before he can inject himself and and save himself which he does yeah this whole helicopter scene though is shot so poorly (laughs) very because the shot of them in the helicopter the camera's not moving at all you could see in the reflection static trees Uh so that so you know they're not going anywhere it just looks so bad now we're back at the present day and they bring this cut this catapult because they want to catapult a bunch of fire into his house and burn him down meanwhile neville is making his sunday dinner and he had mentioned earlier that it was sunday when he remembered and that he always dresses up for dinner on sunday (laughs) sunday i always dress for dinner when he shows back up he is wearing a crushed velvet 
olive green Austin Powers-esque suit, <laughs> which I'm sure that there is an official name for whatever that kind of suit is that he's wearing. Oh, behave. But, uh, but yeah, but he definitely comes strutting out in his little suit and his ruffly shirt. The creatures outside are taunting him and throwing fire at him. And I wondered why his window was open. Like, why wasn't his window just closed to begin with? Even though he does have this entire building pretty well fortified, the levels reaching up to his building have barbed wire and like the balconies are sealed off. You know, he, but still, I would not have my windows open. That's just me. Yeah. And he uh, just starts shooting at them in response to this because I think they do get some fire to the building. Yeah, they're catapulting these giant fireballs and, you know, one gets into the house and he simply just puts it out. He doesn't even seem that bothered by it, but... It's just like another Sunday. Yeah, and he gets his giant gun, turns the red light on the top of it and starts blasting away. Yep. Um, He shoots at them and they disperse. The next morning, he's running through the city and he's exercising. And this scene where he's running, you recognized the building. Yes, it's the Los Angeles. I think it's like the Water and Power. Yeah. It's off the 110. Neat looking building. Yeah. He's been looking for this nest for two years and he's really screaming for, what's his name? Matthias. Matthias. He's really screaming. (laughs) (laughs) Matthias! He ends up going into a hotel lobby and finds a dead body and there's just dead bodies um, sitting around. Let me tell you something about this hotel or this movie. In the hotel, he goes in and he sees there's cobwebs everywhere and skeletons. It's like the Tower of Terror at Disney World or The Shining, you know, when they see all the skeletons. Would it really look like that after two years? If no one's touching it? Yeah, I don't think it would. Because they're mummified? I don't think so, because the mummification, they'd have to be sealed. Well, Everything e- would just be on the ground. Not even just that, but I don't think the spider webs would be that much in two years. You don't think so? No. Like I mean, have you seen my car? My car's been parked outside <laughs> for like three weeks, four weeks, and there's cobwebs on my car. Yeah, but I don't know. I mean, maybe it could, but... I don't know if it would. It looks the same as the Hollywood Tower Hotel looks, which is supposed to be 60 years. Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, you don't think it would be that much? Okay. Yeah, I don't think it, there no, would be I that see. many spiderwebs in only two years. By. Oh, I think so. He's checking out the hotel and finds more bodies, but he also finds signs that someone has been there. He yeah. busts into a room and finds a hooded figure sitting at a table, and he asks about Matthias. The creature that he approaches is dead. It's one of these family members. And so from here, he just uh, goes to a clothing store. Before that, after he finds the dead family member, he is recording into a tape recorder his findings Mm -hmm. for research. And here we get the exact date of what we're seeing, which is, I believe, August of 1977. Journal recording 958, August 5th, 1977. Found another one. One of Matthias' group. Dead of plague. Sweep continues. There is a scene that I really like that we didn't go over, which is when he goes into a hotel room and this great organ music starts playing and he sees some bodies under the sheets in a bed and he pulls the sheets and it's a dead couple in there. Mm -hmm. I like that scene. Who pulled the sheets over their head, though? I don't know. Mm. Maybe they did. They were scared and hid under the covers. 
So he goes to a clothing store to change. And again, when he takes off his clothes, he just kind of throws it willy-nilly. He needs a new tracksuit because he's all sweaty from running around Los Angeles. So Um. he takes off his jacket and he's shirtless again. So we get more shirtless, Charlton Heston. He kind of spooks himself with these mannequins. He does, but... You could see he desperately wants the touch of another human and wants to interact. Oh, yeah. He hears a noise in the shop and he like has a moment where he kind of like runs into a lady mannequin uh-huh. and he like gives her his like look and I don't know. It's all, But then he hears a noise and there is a really great shot of the women's department and there is a a very much alive woman who is posing as a mannequin i know i like that and she can't really hold that stance anymore looks at him and runs away he runs after her and he loses her in a park nearby he thinks that he hallucinated it trip to the laughing academy then mentions that he needs to go find a bar before they close before dark so for a drink Yeah, and there we get another chuck check. (laughs) He finds a bar and he hears like a bit of a clatter in what I guess would be like the cellar or something. And this ends up being a trap that is set for him by the family. They knock over like a wine rack thing on him. They ambush him. He does definitely get knocked out. And when he wakes up, he's tied up. Yeah. Um, these creatures have tied him up. They call him evil and part of the dead and that he's obsolete. He has no place here. He has the stink of oil and electrical circuitry about him. He is obsolete. Now we're really getting to know more of the family now. And in the original book, they refer to them as vampires. And in press releases and things, they do still call them vampires in this, I believe, sometimes. But they're not really vampires. No, they're, they're just vampires. sensitive to the light and diseased. Yeah, he ends up telling Matthias that he's full of crap. You're full of crap. Matthias is making this huge um, case to the family that this man needs to be dealt with, which is weird because they've already agreed this. But again, you know, we get a lot of monologuing from Matthias, which is fine, but it does get a little boring. I will say I did tune out a little bit when he just kept... It was the same thing. They just kept hammering home that Charlton Heston being alive is still the old way of living which is what happened to everyone yeah and that he's part of the problem and that in order for them to start a society they need to get rid of him they call him the angel of death and it's and it's true because he does show up and he just kills everybody but it gets a little old because it would be it's like forever that matthias can talk and i'm just like all right dude we get it and they decide they're going to take him to the little room for questioning (laughs) the little room i like that i love it yeah he's like he goes to the little room i'm like why can't you do that in this room with everyone (laughs) because i feel like everyone else still went into the little room but whatever neville was a scientist and also a colonel neville asks why they don't try to find a cure matthias says that there isn't a cure and calls him the angel of death for killing so many of their people you're the angel of death doctor not us he then says that he that Neville will never be like them, that he doesn't bear any of the marks. And they remove their sunglasses to show that they have these white eyes. They take him outside. They put him in a wagon. Uh, and he's wearing like a dunce cap. 
Yeah, yeah, he is. He is wearing like this weird cap. I almost felt like it was like a paper bag situation. <laughs> That's what it was, I think. But <laughs> it reminds me of a dunce cap. <laughs> and so they take him to be executed and they want to burn him with all the technology and books and any items that they consider evil. Yeah, and where um, do they take him? They t- take him to a stadium, specifically Dodger Stadium. Dodger Stadium? Yeah, if I had to be executed, I'd want it to be Dodger Stadium. But you find out that the reason they took him to Dodger Stadium was because when people were dying, when this virus had first started, they were burning bodies in the stadium, Mm -hmm. which I thought was kind of weird. Like, why wouldn't they do it in the parking lot? It's such a huge parking lot. Why do it in the stadium? (laughs) (laughs) So as they've tied him up and they're, uh, you know, monologuing about what they're going to do to him and how horrible he is, the lights go on on the stadium lights and a man shows up to cut him loose they run into a room where he meets the lady that we had seen earlier with her beautiful giant afro and (laughs) um like a red patent leather snake suit outfit and she's got a little gun on him and she calls him out she reads him right to his face all right you son of a bitch you just hold tight up against the wall you mother Meanwhile, the other man, his name is Dutch, is causing a huge diversion. Dylan Dutch, you son of a bitch. Uh, by the way, uh, when we find out that the, the girl with the afro, her name is Lisa, and when she's in the room with Robert Neville, he says something to the effect of, uh, what's your name? My name is Robert Neville. And she pistol whips him and she says my favorite line of the movie, your name is Mud. My name is Robert Your name's Mud. She takes him to a motorcycle so that they can get away. And we get a very amazing score and um, just a series of stunts of them driving up and down stairs, um, driving. Oh, they jump a car and they speed away. And my favorite, absolute favorite part about this is. This stunt double that is clearly not Charlton Heston. Yeah, it looks nothing like him. It's this guy with really big, thick hair that they (laughs) spray painted white or silver. (laughs) (laughs) They didn't even try to hide his face. Yeah. There's another line that I like a lot before this whole scene where she has the gun on Neville and she says to him. And if you just have to play James Bond, I'll bust your ass. I like when um, she asks him if he knows how to drive a motorcycle or something, and then he tells her to, like, hold on to her pant, her britches or something. She says that he's going to need to to jump the vehicles where we get that great shot of them jumping, and he says something to the effect of, okay, baby, hitch up your drawers. Yeah, there you go. Okay, baby, hitch up your drawers. They instantly have this chemistry like these two people are going to rip each other apart sexually (laughs) 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 which i was not expecting at all i definitely have an expectation of charlton heston and this woman did not fit into what i would have thought that he would do but i think he just i don't know i just i have i'm sorry that I, i really do apologize that i have perhaps boxed in Charlton Heston <laughs> stereotyped him and just made some assumptions about what he would do. I don't care about his personal life. Don't care. Yeah. Um, but what he would do on camera, especially since this movie was in the early 70s. Well, um, I just don't. I'm just surprised. Charlton Heston, even though he had some strange 
conservative thoughts, he was also at the same <laughs> <Thoughts>. time... Views. <laughs> views. He also at the same time was very liberal. Mm-hmm. So Heston, he is liberal, but not to the point where he's just going to blindly follow something. He analyzes anything and, and sees what he believes in. But... Well, he's dead. You keep talking about him like he's alive. Yeah, that was back when he was alive. <laughs> so they speed away. Now it's daytime and they're driving these windy roads up to a compound type of thing in the hills. Yes. Oh, Alanis Morissette shows up. One of these kids <laughs> looks like Alanis Morissette and a bunch of other kids show up. We find out that this woman's name is Lisa. They end up talking about how she has all of these kids up here with her and she says that between him shooting at anything and matthias and the family they've laid really low and that they know all about him he has no idea that these people existed but honestly they just knew that he was wild and they needed to not draw attention to themselves yeah it's a group of survivors and you know it's it's weird he goes up to this compound and like one by one a kid pops out and they're like there's dutch you know or whatever it reminds me of when Brad Pitt visited the Manson family in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> oh, kind of. But I mean, these kids are being forced to grow up. There's that little boy on the roof and he has like a gun trained on them yeah. um, coming up and she has to assure him that it's okay that they're there. And there are all these kids. But then, you know, there's a wide range of kids that seem to be young children to adolescents. Yeah. Um, and so we find that her name is Lisa and her brother is, uh, his name is Richie and he is about to turn and he's been in the throes of this. We come to find out that there are stages of this plague and it's really unknown when you could turn. You can turn suddenly or you could be in locked in a stage for a while. Neville says that he wants to check him out and so they go into this back room and we see this kid laying in a bed and he has pale face and white hair and his eyes are also white. Neville yeah. offers to take him back to his house to help him and perhaps administer some of his experiments to him. Some serum or something. He tells Lisa and the whole gang that he's immune due to his experimental vaccine that he administered to himself when he was turning earlier. And so he then says that he can probably help out with some antibodies. His blood can help everyone and Dutch is very excited. I think Dutch he's, is very excited. And he starts yelling, you could save the world! <laughs> I like Dutch. He's very positive. He gets things done. He just doesn't wear a shirt. <laughs> no one likes to wear shirts in the 70s. Apparently not, because literally all of the main characters, all the... Even Lisa. <laughs> and, yeah. They all, at some point, everybody not wearing a shirt. They drive over talking about making a serum. Dutch is very knowledgeable about this and starts picking at Robert's brain, which I really loved. And then we find out that, that Neville has tried to administer it to someone that's fully gone and it ended up killing him. Back at Neville's, he starts administering some stuff to... Richie and we get a little bit of flirty chemistry and banter with Lisa. Lisa makes a comment that he was not expecting them. She says you weren't expecting us and then he looks back at her and very ridiculously says I wasn't expecting you and they both just kind of like look at each other and you're just like okay. The guest room. You weren't expecting us. I wasn't expecting you. But from here it starts to seem that 
Richie's kind of taking to the serum and Dutch ends up going back to the compound with this little girl that they'd brought with them. They have a very interesting conversation outside of Neville's house where she ends up breaking down for Neville how she perceives the family and that they are doing Satan's work. And then he ends up talking about how he is trying to help stop this. And she ends up asking him if he's God. Are you God? Let's find out if he's even a doctor first before we go promoting him, okay? Okay. They take off back towards the compound. Richie's condition is progressing. It's in this weird place. So Neville just keeps trying more things, more serums on him. At night, the family does show up to taunt him some more. Meanwhile, there was a very interesting thing. It was like, like Richie's not really responding and then at this point Neville gives him another round of something and Richie does have like a physical reaction he kind of flinches a little bit so you realize that that potentially could go either way um but something's going to happen yeah now they kind of got you have to leave Richie to rest or whatever and they pan over to the door and uh, Lisa's standing there and she's standing there in a is it like a caftan what are they called I don't know what those <laughs> dresses what are called. called but she's wearing like a Mrs. Roper dress right she's all dolled up yeah she looks great she's got this beautiful necklace on it's like orange and gold she's uh, super flirty and asks Neville if he'll have drinks with her if he you know just come on over she said I just made my move so they have cognac and putting on records, whatever else. And the family is taunting them outside. Lisa is unsettled by Matthias's voice. She then reveals that she was part of the family and part of his movement when everything had just started to happen. Yeah, it sounded like Matthias had already changed by this point and was yes. crazy. But he was accepting people in the family that weren't changed yet, but sort of, I guess, training them on his thinking of the like world. Like indoctrinating them. Yeah. And then he started to notice that they were not like him. Yeah. And so she and her brother ended up kind of closing themselves off and then one night ended up running away from them. Neville then asks a little bit about Dutch in an inquisitive way. And they, um, it's just like trying to, you know, find out if Dutch really means anything. But she just is like, oh, Dutch is, you know, explains whatever his deal is. And uh, they lean into each other to kiss and the lights go out. Yeah, he says something to the effect of, you know, what's that old saying? If I were the only boy and you were the only girl. If you were the only girl in the world and I were the only boy, okay. But uh, till then, don't bother me. I guess I'm the only boy. Can I tell you, I did not like when he called himself the only boy because he's like 85 <laughs> years old in this. And I'm like, this is weird because People it's not. People look older back then. He was 33. I'm just kidding. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> That hurt me. I was <laughs> so confused. <laughs> but yeah, the, the lights go out, and I really like Charlton Heston's reaction. He says, I forgot to recharge the generator. Help me get the garage! God, I forgot to keep the fuel up in the generator. They'll be into the garage. <laughs> yeah, he really goes from zero to 100. And so he runs down to the basement to which check it, out the generator. Which is funny because for two years he has been so careful and now... Someone shows up. Someone shows up and careless. 
Yeah, he gets careless. Uh, I don't want to say lazy, but he got distracted. He did get distracted. He ends up giving her a gun to hold on to um, in case anything happens. And he climbs into the elevator and we get this really great parallel scene of him having to shimmy down the elevator. Meanwhile, outside, Brother Zachary is... Gonna shimmy up the house. He's gonna shimmy up that house. He, They have a whole plan. They're seizing the moment. They say that as soon as he gets back in there they will be waiting for him and brother zachary has a pistol which he's not supposed to have but no he wants to take neville out he does he has a little grappling hook and he shimmies up that building and they're planning to ambush neville in his penthouse apartment so neville finally gets downstairs and it's a lot of tension building of zachary going up the building and knowing that lisa is in that she might be a casualty of what's happening here um and wondering if her brother is going to wake up and be fully turned like who knows and there's it's very suspenseful and i can't get the generator started and she also doesn't know that zachary is coming up the building the lights go on and they instantly harm zachary who is pretty much at the top at this point neville takes the elevator up and as the doors open, Lisa's a little hesitant. You know, she's wondering if maybe it's not him who's coming up. Mm. And they have a brief moment where they look at each other and we're only looking at Charlton Heston. And then he starts shooting. And you're like, is he shooting at Lisa? And it's no, because Zachary's finally come into the room. And so Neville starts shooting at Zachary. He instantly kills Zachary. Um, yeah, and I think he becomes impaled on a fence below. Yeah, because he falls out of the balcony yeah. and he falls in front of the rest of the family. And there's a great close-up of when he is dead. I think the camera pushes in on him and he looks really good there. Yeah. Lisa, meanwhile, is on the ground. They have some flirty banter. She just says, like, warn me next time or something like that. And so then instead of helping her up, he lays down on the floor next Uh to her. And it's like, theoretically, the kitchen floor. I don't know. They kiss and they start to make out. And as the scene is kind of fading, we hear him say that he doesn't know if he remembers how this works or whatever. You know, it's been a long, long time. I'm not sure I remember how this goes. It is now the next morning. I put down that Richie is stable and Lisa is naked. Uh, Naked Lisa. She is. She gets up though and she um, is bothered by the light. So, um, (laughs) man oh man. So, (laughs) best scene in the movie. Uh, Lisa and Neville go on a little journey to the local pharmacy. They. I don't know. I don't understand what's happening. He's collecting just anything that will help him with Richie. And Lisa, meanwhile, is on the other side, and she happens to be in an aisle called the Planned Parenthood one. I need to know what it is that she grabs down and does put in her purse. But then next to her, there apparently, it was just over the... Oh, were they condoms? I don't know. It was birth control. Yeah, but is that condoms? Because normally, well, I, you I know, don't. birth control, when you buy pills, it's not an over-the-counter thing. Yeah, no, I don't know what sort of birth control, but... Yeah, she picks up this thing. She looks over at Charlie Hero and says, birth control. And then he laughs maniacally <laughs> <think> at her. <laughs> <laughs> and then she just throws it over her shoulder. She's like, we don't need birth control in this world. And he had the laugh. One of the greatest laughing scenes in cinematic history. <laughs> it's 
possibly one of the scariest things ever. And I would have been like, oh, no, you are not entering me anymore after this show of whatever's happened. (laughs) How dare you? (laughs) And yeah, she like, it's not even like she throws it over her shoulder. She aggressively throws this to the ground. (laughs) And this is a joke that I do not get. I don't understand. Well, the joke is, is that you would usually want birth control and stuff, but they're at a point where it doesn't even matter anymore. You you, you don't want to use birth control when you're in this type of situation because you need the human race to survive. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. It was weird. The whole thing is very upsetting. <laughs> and the only thing that's very upsetting about it is his laugh, his reaction to this. And he has so, so many Giggle. teeth when he, he smiles. So many Which teeth. also, again, it's very reminiscent of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Remember when Arnold Schwarzenegger is thumb wrestling at the end of True Lies and he has all the teeth? No. <laughs> he goes... <laughs> 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 so they end up going to a building. Looks like it's a Red Cross building that housed the dead. They go there to get supplies And Lisa has a moment when she sees the calendar that also says March 1975 and talks a little bit about the passage of time. And she's just truly is sad because things are just so much more different. They go back to Neville's and he walks Lisa through how to take his blood and he fills up like an insane, like he would be, I think, (laughs) I'm not a vampire, but I think he would be not he would need more than a cookie and some juice after giving this giant bottle a liter of i don't know yeah i like what she's taking the blood she's wearing a doctor's coat because she's the doctor now (laughs) remember what he says what he's done giving the blood yeah so then he he's talking about that he thinks that if he transfuses the blood into richie it will help him create more antibodies and could potentially cure him and so he starts running his blood (laughs) through this machine or like right after i don't know but he says basically it's like a hundred percent like anglo a hundred percent anglo-saxon baby yeah what It's very funny. It's genuine 160 proof old Anglo-Saxon, baby. I think because she's like, that's the cure or something. And that's when he says that it's that or I don't know. Richie is slowly recovering and we see with his eyes that his eyes are now back to normal. His skin looks a little ashy instead of just sheet white at this point. And his hair is definitely turning back to a darker color. But he's still not well. The light does hurt his eyes a little bit still. Hey man, how about off? They want to take him to the mountains with Dutch and the kids. So they start formulating this plan. Lisa then gets very dressed up and goes outside to get supplies. They then have a very cryptic foreshadowing foreboding um, both of those things conversation about her being careful outside and to stay out of places and just not get caught up by the family oh, honey the most dangerous thing i ever ran into in one of those stores was you neville and richie now have a conversation on the roof of the building about his blood and how they would be able to build more of a serum using Richie's blood because once he gains some more weight and his strength back, he should have more of the antibodies because he's actually gone through more of this disease and been able to fight it off. Yeah, every person that gets cured can make more serum eventually for more cures. Yeah. Um, Neville also ends up saying that he would like to give his next bottle of blood to Lisa to make sure that she doesn't turn. 
They do definitely talk about how this would help more people that haven't turned than it would to people that have turned because Neville wasn't able to help someone that was turned earlier. Yeah, and Richie asks that question if it would work for someone that's already turned. Yes, and he ends up saying that he needs to either help Matthias and the family or he needs to kill them and tells them where the location is of their nest, which is what Neville's been looking for. For two years I've been looking, and you know. Richie is very uneasy when it comes to Neville, but he's also doubting the message that the family is putting out there. He's kind of on the side of the family. Yeah, well, he I mean, he's conflicted and i'm guessing you know he's a young kid and he probably got close with this family and lisa saw the warning signs and Mm -hmm. took him with her and left he probably felt like she was just ripping him away from the family that he now knows yeah so he wants to help them because he cares about them yeah but also you got to remember this is at the beginning of the turning point they may not be as insane at that point that he knew them as As they are now yeah he tells neville that he's a hostile and that he just simply doesn't belong and he's not wrong you know what mister you're a hostile neville can never go back to how society how it was before because i think he's too far gone he's very aggressive he's in a completely different place And he doesn't belong with the family. He'll never turn and he'll never be part of that. He tells them that he scares him more than Matthias does. And (laughs) Neville laughs. (laughs) He laughs at him. He then takes off and goes to visit Dutch. He tells Dutch that Richie is doing well and that they need to leave. Well, when he appears, he tells Dutch that it works. The serum works. And Dutch's reaction is so good. He starts cheering and throwing stuff up in the air. And he falls down a hill and rolls down. (laughs) He's so happy. He's genuinely happy about it. It works. It works. It works. Meanwhile, we, we cut back to Richie at Neville's. And he's writing a little note. And he leaves it on top of Julius Caesar's bust and says that he's going to go take a drive in the sun. So he takes off from the penthouse. Lisa, meanwhile, is clothes shopping or stealing or whatever. Taking, because I mean, there's no stealing at this point. Everyone's dead. It doesn't matter. Neville returns back to the apartment and finds Richie's note that says, going to find out who's right, you or me. Richie has gone to Matthias's hiding spot at the Civic Center. And now Robert Neville means business. Yes, he gets in a very interesting suit. Situation. Yeah, he gets in his leisure suit and he wears his colonel like, hat. His little Adidas, <laughs> right? Does he wear his little Adidas or is that earlier? No, that's earlier. Whatever. Oh, okay. No, he, he wears uh, his leisure suit and his army hat or whatever it yeah, is. The yeah. one that was that Julius Caesar was I wearing. I like that he had to wear his hat. That yeah. was very funny. And he grabs his weapons and he's going to the nest. Richie is at the nest and he overhears Matthias talking to the family. And he becomes a little bit more alarmed and really then changes his mind and thinks maybe this isn't right. Um, and he goes to leave. But as he does, he's cornered by members of the family. They take him to Matthias, who thinks that Richie is sent by Neville to trick them. They pretty much decide that tonight they'll be able to get Neville out because they're going to use Richie as bait. Yeah. Lisa is walking around 
it's at night. And I love that she, earlier when she had gone out, she had wrapped up her hair um, and put on these sunglasses. And so we see her earlier when she's trying on clothes, she's not wearing her sunglasses. And now she's out and she's walking the streets. Yeah, she she's walking the streets and the family's out too now. Yeah, she's walking the streets. She's got a bag full of whatever supplies. And do you remember what the family is chanting? Um, They're chanting a bunch of stuff. I don't know, they're but saying, they're definitely walking towards her. Yeah, they're saying, tonight, tonight, tonight. Like, because this is the night they're going to get Neville. Yes. Tonight, tonight, tonight. And man, oh man, this, I actually was shocked and it's a wonderful reveal because we see her kind of far away walking towards the camera and then we're behind her as she's watching the family walk right, in right, her right. general direction and the camera pans around as she drops this bag that she's holding, unwraps her hair, her hair is now white, her skin is white and she takes off her glasses and her eyes are white. She's completely turned. She has the marks. And I was I was shocked. I was completely shocked, which I thought was you laughed at me. I was so shocked. <laughs> um, Neville uh, has prepped up a car and with weapons, and he's gone to the civic center to rescue Richie. And again, I was shocked here. Our friend Richie is dead. He's been murdered, and Charlton Heston has a great reaction. He says, "Oh my God." <laughs> <laughs> we get him now in his car and he is driving crazy yeah now he's bad just driving through anything like you thought he was a bad driver before just wait <laughs> yeah and it looks like the the family is pushing vehicles and whatnot into his way to pretty much get him to have an accident and he flips over his car the family starts to attack him with rocks and arrows and he brings out his machine gun and starts shooting at them he ends up making his way back home and he's defeated. He takes the elevator up and he calls for Lisa in the apartment. When she does show up, she's wearing all black and you see her in her turned state. And she's definitely now part of the family. Yeah. Um, she said that she knows about Richie and that it was necessary. Matthias told me it was necessary. Matthias is there and the members of the family are hiding. They ambush Neville and then they proceed to trash and destroy his apartment, destroying everything around him, his equipment, everything. Yeah, they tear up those priceless paintings. I think one was a Van Gogh. Um, Matthias says that they have purged his world and that now they must build. He And with that, they mean that they have to get rid of... Yeah, they have to build up their own world now. Yeah. And remember um, the great line Heston has in response? No. Matthias says, now we must build. And Neville says, build coffins. That's all you'll need. Now we must build. Build coffins. That's all you'll need. Yeah. Earlier, <laughs> when um, I think when he first meet, goes to wherever the family takes him, he asks them if they're with the IRS. <laughs> yeah. Are you fellas really with the Internal Revenue Service? Yeah, he's making light of the situation. He's got some jokes uh, this whole time. He's able to escape, and at one point, like, he has a little bit of hand-to-hand -hand combat. He um, uses Matthias as a shield, and he takes Lisa with him. They go outside. And he says, it's ten minutes to sunup, and then we get another chuck check. Because he, he looked at his watch. <laughs> yep. Matthias calls to Lisa, who is then mesmerized by his call. 
And Matthias looks down because he's up on this balcony and he throws a spear at Neville. Yep. As Neville's distracted by trying to talk Lisa out of following Matthias. And uh, he's very badly hurt. Like that spear goes right into his side. Yeah. All right. Let's point that out. Um, <laughs> and he has a great reaction where he's calling for Lisa. Remember? What? He's just like, Lisa! Lisa! <laughs> <laughs> Lisa kind of wanders back to him and tells him that he's evil and that now she's part of the family. She kind of falls a little bit behind the fountain, which is where our good buddy Neville is in. He's in this fountain. Yeah. When they threw the spear at him, he fell backwards into the fountain. Yeah. And he's um he's standing up in it. Dutch then shows up because now the sun is up. What happened to Matthias though? Yeah, Matthias is fine, right? Yeah. So Dutch and the kids show up. Neville is now in the fountain and he's dying. The fountain is running red because he's removed the spear. But he's also managed to save his a bit of a giant bottle of his blood. Yeah. He gives it to Dutch. They pull Lisa into the truck who is kind of cowering from the sun, but they pull her in as uh, Neville dies. Dutch takes the kids and as he's leaving, there's a little girl who sees Neville's hat that he'd been wearing in the water and she takes it out and puts it on the um, ledge of the fountain. Yeah. Neville then slumps down and is uh, dead in the fountain. And we get this shot from above, <laughs> from above that is kind of pulling back. And our buddy, <laughs> geez Louise, our buddy Neville looks like jesus on the cross yeah his arms are out and the water is making his arms float so they're extended and his legs are the exact position as jesus on the cross yep and then um but the music that we have i find is very bright and cheery yeah well it's a new beginning i suppose i suppose so and then it's the end the credits and uh we're done with this movie the omega man 1971 yeah what do you think um you know i like talking about it more than i like watching it um (laughs) there was a lot going on i did enjoy this it's ridiculous it's very ridiculous it's very over the top and it's very much a product of its time so guns don't sound the same anymore um and i love i love old-timey gun noises Uh i'm gonna say old-timey you know but yeah i just i found it to be um it's a little heavy-handed but it's fine it is what it is it seemed like there were some scenes that you really liked you said you liked the second half better than the first half i did Mm -hmm. i actually prefer the first half i i like his isolation and him talking to himself and i kind of wish there was more of that Mm. uh because i'm not crazy about the villains in this movie uh they're not my favorite i do like I like his relationship with Lisa. I like him trying to find a cure, but I did find the family to be the least compelling part of this entire movie. Yeah. Well, you want to hear a little bit about the making of this picture? Sure. All right, the Omega Man, a terrific Charlton Heston picture from 1971. So as I told you earlier, this is based off of a book by Richard Matheson called I and Legend. Mm-hmm. 
you'll notice in the credits, they don't even say I Am Legend. They just say based off of the book or based off of a book by Richard Matheson or uh-huh. a novel. And I believe they didn't use the title I Am Legend because of some sort of legal battle where they could use the source, but they couldn't call it that for some reason. Hmm. So they changed the name to the Omega Man, and you had asked me why, and I wasn't sure, and you looked up what Omega was. Yes. And what was it? Omega is the 24th and last letter of the Greek alphabet, so it is the last. Yeah, the last letter in the Greek alphabet, and Charlton Heston is the last man on Earth. Mm -hmm. So that's why they call it the Omega Man. Charlton Heston was involved with the process of the making of the movie from way early on. He wanted to get this movie made. He was given the book and read the book and was very interested in getting this movie made. Mm -hmm. Originally, he wanted Orson Welles to direct and contact him to do that, but Orson didn't want to do it. Sorry, really quickly, can I interject that the Macmillan Dictionary says a man who chooses not to have a powerful or important role in a social or professional situation while the alpha male wants to dominate and the beta male just wants to get by the omega male has either opted out or if he used to try given up interesting Hmm, yeah i wonder if that has anything to do with it too so orson wells did not want to direct because he was making that Nostradamus movie instead. <laughs> I don't know. I love that. So the Omega Man, you know, as I said, it's based off of the book I Am Legend. But there was already a movie that was made based off of I Am Legend called The Last Man on Earth starring Vincent Price. Charlton Heston didn't know this at the time, but they screened the movie for him once they did find out so they could kind of get some thoughts about it. I'm going to read you what Heston thought about watching the original version of the I Am Legend story. Okay. I'm reading this from a book called... Charlie Hero. My name is Charlie Hero. (laughs) Charlton Heston, The Actor's Life, Journals from 1956 to 1976. This is one of my favorite books, and it has little passages, like little paragraphs, each day that Charlton Heston wrote in his journal for 20 years. So this is his personal journal. So these are his thoughts on the first time he saw The Last Man on Earth. You seldom get a chance to look at a film before you make it, but we did today, running a picture that was presumably based on I Am Legend. I don't know what we'd have done if it had been good, but there is no worry on that score. Oh my gosh! I don't see how such a soporific film could have come from such a promising piece. It's incredibly botched, totally unfrightening, ill-acted, sloppily written, and photographed. Let's see if we can do better. Um, <laughs> so he didn't like no, the original No, soporific means tend to induce drowsiness or sleep. Oh, <laughs> I have heard it's not very good. I actually haven't seen it, but I do want to see it someday. But it looks more like a zombie movie. So they screen that movie for him. They're going to make the movie, you remember, because he's interested in, in the book and, you know, he wants to get this made. They wrote a script and at one point they actually brought in William Peter Blatty to do a polish of the script at a punch up the dialogue. He's the guy that wrote The Exorcist. I was about to say. And uh, this was before. Well, he, the book probably had come out by this point, but the movie hadn't. So Shooting started for this movie on November 15th, 1970. It's directed by Boris Seagal, who is the father of Katie Seagal. Oh man, I was going for Steven Seagal. (laughs) 
you know Katie uh, Seagal? I do. From Married with Children. And Sons of Anarchy. She's fantastic in both of those shows. Yeah. He apparently had a bad temper, Boris Seagal. Uh-huh. In fact, he wasn't really getting along with the cinematographer of the movie named Russell Metty. And I'll read you from Charlie Hero's Genos <laughs> what he uh, had to say about director Boris Segal. Russ Meddy and Boris Segal, our director, don't quite hit it off. Boris is a somewhat volatile personality. I can see where he'd rub Russ the wrong way. Still, he seems to be getting good footage. The stuff we're shooting now is the kind you can't judge at all till it's cut. So there's not much I can react to from this week's work. That was his entry from December 4th, 1970. And then on December 8th, he said, We offered Boris a chance to replace Russ Meddy as cameraman. He backed off. I'm uneasy about directors who have to fire the people to control a company. So you could see <laughs> Boris uh, wasn't getting along with the cameraman. And because uh, Heston was part of the making of this movie, he gave the director the opportunity to be the boss and do what he needed to do. But Boris backed off. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about the cast. First, we have Charlton Heston as Robert Neville, one of my favorite actors. Again, mm-hmm. I told you he was a little typecast at this point for being the science fiction action star, which started with Planet of the Apes. One of my favorite movies. Mm-hmm. Of course, he also starred in Earthquake, Soylent Green, Ben-Hur, The Ten Commandments, Skyjacked, Wayne's World 2, and many others. <laughs> Wayne's World 2. Uh, Gordon Street. <laughs> he was very interested in making this movie because he was he was really into the book. And what really got to him, which was very interesting to him, was the story of the Neville character and his isolation and whether he would be losing his mind or not. I think this uh, chess table is a, a demonstration of one of the parts of Neville's character that interested me the most, uh, and that is the fact of his solitary life being alone. In the piece, he plays chess with himself or in fact, with a, with a bust of Julius Caesar, which comes to the same thing, and we're never quite certain of the degree to which he is aware that he is making the moves on both sides. It's a, a difficult condition. I kind of wish they played a little bit more on that. Mm-hmm. I wanted to see more of Charlton Heston going mad. Because they do definitely do that a lot more in I Am Legend with William Smith. Anthony Zerby, or Zerb, Z-E-R-B-E. Zerb. <laughs> Plays Matthias. Oh, okay. Uh, he was also in the two Matrix sequels as Counselor Haman. Yeah. Lisa is played by Rosalind Cash. I'm going to read you some more entries from the Charlton Heston <laughs> journals. <laughs> um, you don't have more backstory on her? Any other movies that she's been in? Well, I'm going to get there. Oh. Before they found her, he was saying, We're not getting very far in our search for the girl in Legend. It should be an easy part, requiring only a certain swinging, pert quality, coupled with as much physical attractiveness as possible. I mean, she's beautiful. So then he says, So far, we've come up with two girls that seem close. It's tough, of course. For years, most black actresses have been conditioned to register as ladies. We want a girl for this role. I hope we can find one. What? (laughs) Just like younger, not just like an older woman. They just want someone more youthful. I think what he means is they want someone that's more real and has more 
pizzazz and more punch to them. Okay, and, and less not, reserved. Yeah, and they don't have to mind their P's and Q's. They want okay. someone with spunk, you know? Gotcha. Uh-huh. On October 21st, 1970, he first met Rosalind Cash. We read a good actress, Rosalind Cash, today, leading us in a different direction for the role. She's not as flip and swingy as Pace, who was another actress they were going for. Mm -hmm. I like how you told me that in your voice and (laughs) Charlton Heston's. But she's a very good actress and perhaps a more textured person. I think we'll go with her. And they did. (laughs) (laughs) Turning it to George Takei. Yeah. And so they hired Rosalind Cash. On December 27th, they were doing some filming and rehearsing a scene. Let me tell you a little about it mm-hmm. from Charlton Heston. Okay. She seems to have some insecurity as a performer, and who doesn't? And she hasn't worked enough yet to develop a very sound sense of timing. The main scene we worked on, the dinner scene with her expository speech outlining her background, is tricky. She carries almost the full burden of it, and she'll have to make it interesting. The rehearsal time was useful. <laughs> and he also talks later that she was unsure about her marks. She was very nervous about about doing this role. But who wouldn't feel nervous with Charlton Heston in the room with her? Of course. In fact, she had said in an interview afterwards, she was very nervous in their lovemaking scene. And she was quoted to saying, it feels strange to screw Moses. Oh my <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, she ended up dying of cancer in the mid-90s. And her last film was Tales from the Hood. Oh. Paul Coslow plays Dutch. He did a ton of TV shows. I don't really know too much about him, but I just saw it as filmography on IMDb. It's a ton of stuff from the 70s and 80s. Eric Lanuville plays Richie. He became a television director and directed several episodes of Lost, among many other things. Really? Yeah. Bunch of episodes of Ghost Whisperer I saw. Oh. And- <laughs> Lincoln Kilpatrick plays Brother Zachary. I think I like his look the best of all the family members. Mm-hmm. He was also in Soylent Green oh. with Charlton Heston. So I told you that this movie, uh, the Los Angeles scenes of it being deserted was shot on weekends, mostly Sundays, really early in the morning when no one was out. But Neville's house, that was shot at the Warner Brothers Ranch in Burbank, which we can drive by on Hollywood Way. In fact, if you look in there, you can see Neville's house still. Yeah. It's still there today. You've shown it to me. And the fountain in front of the house is now gone, and in its place is the fountain from the beginning of Friends, the TV show. And his house is in the background and of his that house, opening? Yeah. So right where uh, Robert Neville uh, died yeah, for yeah. the world is where Monica, Ross, Rachel, and all the others are <laughs> having a grand old time. Yeah. The writers came up with the interracial relationship concept for this movie, which wasn't in the book. Because racial stereotypes and those situations were so prominent in the world in the 70s and the 60s, they wanted to show that if the world were to have a catastrophe like this, that those situations wouldn't even matter. We talked a little bit about Charlton Heston's death scene and how he uh, was in the fountain. Let me tell you what Charlie Hero had to say about that. What did he have to say about that? On December 10th, 1970, I died this morning. Blood staining the water in the fountain in what may or may not be a Christ analogy. It's hard to tell whether a thing like that will work or not, but I feel very good about this part in the film. Oh, good. Because that was a decision for sure. Yeah. On March 24th, 1971, 
they had an initial cut of the movie and showed it to Charlton Heston. Mm -hmm. Here are his thoughts on seeing the movie put together for the first time. Okie dokie. We got Omega Man down to where we want it. I think the cut's good now. It works on the levels where it needs to work, and the element of dread runs well through the whole piece. This is another of a not very long list of films I have more or less personally conceived, and this may turn out to be the best of them. My performance is good. There is a chance for a kind of lightness, or at least a wryness, that I don't often have a place for in the men I play. It'll be interesting to see how it works with the audiences. And then later in this book, he puts a little comment. So again, that was from 1971. This book was put out in 1976, and he added on to that entry saying now that this picture doesn't please me that much now, and neither does my performance in it. You sometimes imagine you see things you planned in a performance that in fact hardly exist in it, or only flicker faintly through the film. Interesting. What did he not like about his performance in this movie? Well, there's one more entry I want to read to you about him seeing the final version of the movie, which was on July 30th, 1971. Uh And he said, I ran Omega Man for the company tonight. The company of another movie he was working on. Okay. That's certainly not a great film, but it looks like a successful one. They've cut it deeply since I last saw it. I'm more annoyed that they didn't tell me than I am that they made the cuts. So they made a bunch of cuts to the movie that he didn't like, and by this time seeing it a few months later, he did not care for his performance, it seems, and didn't care for the movie so much. Uh, In terms of some cuts, there were some deleted scenes. One was Lisa visits the grave of her parents, and she hears crying from a nearby crypt. She goes over to the crypt and she finds a female family member holding her stillborn baby. She's crying, holding the baby, and Lisa has a machine gun and she's considering killing the mother. And she just looks at the mother and leaves. And she later goes to Neville and tells him about the incident and he asks her if she took care of it. And she said she couldn't because she was pregnant with his child. Then there was another deleted scene where the little girl who asks him if he's God brings flowers and apples to Neville's apartment garden and prays for him to protect her and not let the devil take her soul. Hmm. So those were some cuts. So ultimately, Heston did not like the movie so much. Here are a few more things of what he thought about the movie. Another book? (laughs) The Films of Charlton Heston by Jeff Rovin? That's right. Okay. In my opinion, obviously it has to be my opinion because I was responsible in large part for the changes. The screenplay was better than the novel. Now, I'm not saying that the film was a creative success. I don't think it was. But of the changes we made to the novel, I would defend them, because if I didn't, we wouldn't have made them. As for the continuing Christ reference, it was not meant to be taken as seriously as many people took it. There are fragments of the analogy throughout the film. The business of the blood of the Redeemer, the survival of the innocent, the crucifixion pose, and all that. So that's more of what he thought about the movie. So it seems like he didn't care for the movie so much after it was all said and done. Yeah. But it remains a popular movie in the Heston catalog Mm -hmm. and it's one of my favorites and that's pretty much it about the Omega Man. Oh very nice very nice thank you. Yeah again uh, we should say that they did do another remake called I Am Legend. Oh I did want to mention that they did ask the original author Richard Matheson what he thought about the Omega Man after it was made because he wasn't he wasn't involved with the production they just 
used his story. Uh-huh. And he said he wasn't even upset about it because it was so far removed from his book that it, it didn't even matter. Richard Matheson, he's a great author. He also did uh, The Incredible Shrinking Man, oh, okay. among other things. He's a nice. great science fiction author. But yeah, that is all I have about The Omega Man. Thank you so much. That was great. Why don't we wrap this up? Let's Anthea. do this. Yes. Where can people find us? You can find us at podsandmonsters.com. On Facebook and Twitter, you can find us at Pods and Monsters. And on Instagram, you can find us at Pods and Monsters Podcast. We have updated our movie list on podsandmonsters.com. And if you have any suggestions... Um, or something you'd like to see in the future, hear us talk about in the future, you can email us at podsandmonsters at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed our podcast, please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes. It'd be really awesome. Yeah, thank you for spending this social distancing quarantine time with us. I know that probably a lot of people listen to podcasts more on a commute basis than anything else and I know that a lot of people's lives have definitely changed and had to be adjusted because of this so we really appreciate you taking a moment to spend maybe two hours um, listening to us ramble about movies so um, thank you so much and we hope that you guys are staying safe and sane and uh, watching really ridiculous movies yeah and uh, take a note from Robert Neville who is all alone in this world if you yourself are bored at home and you want to in- interact with us and talk monsters feel free on instagram and uh yeah. the website and all that and don't show up at our house yeah don't show up at our house but uh <laughs> we could reenact uh, any charlie hero movie you want cornelius zira help me this will be a one man <laughs> one man production well you could be zira no <laughs> all right for pods of monsters i'm robert i'm inthia and i'll see you all a little later Goodbye. Goodbye. Not Matthias, nor his family, nor any other son of a bitch is going to make me leave.